Last time on Licensed to Parent. Bullies are not people with a low opinion of themselves and they're acting out their low opinion. This is the psychological explanation. They're acting out high self-esteem. The idea that they're better than everyone else and uh, that they deserve to be king of the hill. That's psychologist John Roseman sharing an example of how parenting approaches rooted in modern psychology have results. Unfortunately, they're the complete opposite of what was intended. Today, part two of our conversation on being a politically incorrect parent on Licensed to Parent. And welcome once again to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis and by extension for their families. Our host on Licensed to Parent is Trace Embry, the founder and director of Shepherd's Hill, and I'm Rich Rosel. Trace? Well, John, we certainly appreciate you being back with us for uh, round two. Listen, a a lot of uh, millennial-age parents uh, consider the baby boomer and, and older parents and grandparents as not being up with the times, old-fashioned, so to speak. Uh, I like what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, before you tear down a fence, find out why it was put up to begin with. You wrote a book called uh, Grandma Was Right After All. Uh, specifically, what are, what are some of the top things you feel that today's parents could take from their grandma's generation and effectively plug into theirs for the sake of bringing greater emotional stability to, to their kids, even in this crazy world? Yeah, well, in the book, I talk about... Uh, I, I, it's a call for the restoration of traditional biblically-based parenting. And um, in it, I examined the top 25 parenting adages of the pre-psychological parenting age. Adages like, because I said so, and children should be seen and not heard, and uh, I'm going to give you a long enough rope so that you can hang yourself and money doesn't grow on trees and <laughs> so on and so forth. You must think the world revolves around you. Things that everybody in my generation as children heard from their parents and other adults and things that children are no longer hearing today because mm-hmm. as we have drifted away from that set of understandings, those adages have fallen out of the the general parenting vocabulary. And uh, taking, you know, children should be seen and not heard, which, you know, I'll ask a millennial parent, do you believe children should be seen and not heard? And the answer is, oh, no, 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 John, no, no, that's not a proper thing at all. And I go, well, all it meant was that when a child is in a room, otherwise occupied by adults who are holding conversation, it is right and proper for the child to pay attention and instead of drawing attention to himself. And everybody goes, oh, is that what it means? Well, of course, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. You know, but the problem is that the psychological community, uh, Trace and Rich, demonized everything about traditional biblically-based parenting, made... Uh, uh, everything in into a no-no for parents and uh, instead sold American parents in the late 60s and early 70s on a set of ideas concerning children and child rearing based entirely on bogus psychological theory. And this has been devastating to America's parenting and devastating yeah. to America's children. 
John, I think what I'm hearing in this, uh, at least using the example of children should be seen and not heard, is it, it's not that they should never, ever be heard. It's that there's a proper time and place. I mean, we we are raising future adults, so they need to learn that when they're coming into the presence of adults, they defer to the adults. They listen first, as you said. But that doesn't mean that they lose their childhood when they're having playtime and that sort of thing. Well, no one meant that, to my knowledge. Right. When they said children should be seen and not heard, they simply meant you are not given permission to interrupt an adult conversation. And you can stay here in the room and you can listen and you will hopefully learn from the conversation. In other words, children can be seen uh, but you are not to interrupt. Children should not be heard. And that didn't mean you never listen to your child. It didn't mean you never pay any attention to your child. It simply was very situation specific. Yeah. But you see, the, the mental health community twisted that to mean, oh, these parents, they they didn't love their children and they were oblivious mm -hmm. to their children. They didn't even want children and they certainly didn't qualify to be, to be parents. And uh, instead, sold America on this psychological parenting paradigm that, again, has just been extremely destructive. And, and we've, we've, as a nation, we've embraced and engaged in this experiment for over 50 years now. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and this is my mission. This is my ministry. As I travel the country or used to before <laughs> the pandemic shut down public speaking, uh, I take every opportunity I can to say, look, the, we were created by God. God gave us a set of instructions for the raising of his children. Those are the only instructions that we should be following. Mm -hmm. They are impeccable instructions. They are infallible. We are not infallible, but infallible creatures using a perfect parenting plan are going to do a whole lot better job of raising children than infallible people who use a parenting plan cobbled together by other infallible people. It's as simple yeah. as that. Yeah, no doubt about that. And you, you mentioned, you know, one of this, the old sayings, uh, the, the whole world revolves around you. That used to be uh, a, bit, a bit of a, a sobering, maybe even an insult to, to, to kids at one time. Uh, today, they almost uh, like, okay, next question. I mean, so what? Yeah, I'm, I'm not, they're not ashamed of that anymore. Uh, it's, like, it's almost like they don't know their station and place in life. Uh, kind of the point Jesus was trying to make, uh, he wasn't necessarily talking about kids at the time, but, uh, you know, when you get a seat at the banquet, you know, don't automatically rush to the front. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, as we were talking earlier, uh, today's parents, uh, they've, they've fed right into this uh, because, as, as I said, when I talk to a lot of parents, they're not a bit, they don't bat an eyelash to say, junior is the most important thing in my life. And, you know, and the other common thing I hear is, uh, I, I just want junior happy. Uh, I think any parent wants their kids happy. I think you'd be nuts if you didn't, didn't want your kid happy, but... Should it be the main focus in the pursuit of raising a well-adjusted child into adulthood? And, you know, should they be the most important thing in, in, in a parent's life? No, the parent should be the most important thing in the child's life. And, and this is something that I deal with a lot when I'm counseling with parents uh, individually or as a couple. 
is uh, one of the questions I will ask is, uh, who is the most important person or persons in your family? And without exception, millennial parents say, our children or Mm -hmm. my child. And then I say, well, isn't that fascinating? Because your child could not have survived to, to this day without you. You are the reason your child is alive. Mm-hmm. How is it that your child is more important than you are? And I help these parents understand that one of the primary reasons that they are having such problems uh, with their kids, uh, such discipline problems, is because in their own minds and therefore in their children's minds, although their children couldn't express it, but it's an intuitive belief, the child is the most important person in the family. Well, he's not, is he? Yeah. You yeah. are the most important person in your family, and your child needs to understand this. And then if we go to the issue of happiness, the research has discovered quite clearly what common sense would affirm. The more you see it as your job to keep your child happy, the less responsibility your child will take for his own happiness. And under those circumstances, the more ill-prepared the child will be to deal with the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, as Shakespeare put it, and the more likely the child is to be unhappy, which is verified by the, the clinical depression epidemic that we are currently dealing with among America's teenagers. I've talked to parents who want to model a servant's heart. And so they, it looks to me like they do everything for their kids. And, and they will say, I'm trying to model a servant's heart by, by serving my child. Uh, clearly, that's out of balance. But how does a parent strike the appropriate balance in there in, in serving and guiding the child without doing everything for them and without, without making their happiness the, the top priority? Well, you know, the, the ultimate servant was Jesus Christ himself. And uh, anyone who's familiar with the scriptures knows that Jesus did not make it his mission to make his disciples happy. Uh, <laughs> he was confronting them with truth at every yeah. possible opportunity and had no problem even saying things to them that would be highly disturbing to them, like, get me behind me, Satan. Right. Uh said to Peter, um, it, 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 it is, yes, a servant's heart means that you serve your child's best interests. It does not mean that your primary purpose and goal in parenting is to keep your child happy. It does not mean be a gopher for your child. Right. Right. You know, President Biden is basically uh, my servant, but, uh, I'm not really expecting him to prepare my dinner tonight. Uh, nope. Leadership uh, has a different connotation there, I guess. But anyway. Uh, oh, Trace you know, wants to turn this into a political program now, Rich. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's no, we, we, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I want to get out of here alive. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I get people look at me sideways and they, when they say, you know, my, my junior's the most important thing in my life. I said, you don't really? I said, my kids are third. Third, I said, yeah, Jesus Christ, number one, my wife's number two, my kids are third. I've told them that their whole lives from the time they could talk. You know, you're third. You know, uh, I'm, I'm glad my, my wife uh, has another man in her life. 
His name is Jesus Christ. Uh, I can love her better with her being second than if I made an idol out of her. And my kids, you know, I told them, I said, look, you and mom are drowning. I can save one of you. I said, you better learn how to swim because I'm, I'm going after mom. She was here when, before you got here. She'll be here when you leave. And, you know, they understand that. They accept that. And, and uh, uh, they're happy with that. But I think there's a big difference between, well, not a big difference, actually, uh, but a difference between happiness and joy. Can you talk about the difference between happy and joy? Because I think joy... Uh, really is uh, the thing that we're shooting for, or should be shooting for as parents. Well, I want to address, before I do that, I want to address that I'm currently uh, writing a book. It's due at the publishers in 21 days, as a matter of fact, uh, in which I say that the child is your fourth obligation. Christ is number one, your marriage is number two, and your neighbor is number three. Uh, and that's what Jesus said. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit, and mm-hmm. love your neighbor as yourself. Um, okay. and, and I believe that one of the things, and this is something I talk about with parents quite a lot, is the obligation in the raising of a child that a parent has to his or her neighbor, a broadly defined. and that Usually missed. When you... When you are thinking in terms of your obligation to God and your obligation to your neighbor, broadly defined in the raising of your child, you have suddenly put your child into proper perspective. And putting a child into proper perspective is essential to serving the child's needs properly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think one small example of that is when juniors throw in a tantrum, whether it's Walmart or whether it's... uh, yeah, in the church, and uh, you know, the the parents are looking at Junior doing this, and and it's like uh, I think they think that uh, uh, everyone else thinks Junior's as cute as they think Junior is cute, and 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 yet it's I I think it's rude, and it's not thinking of of other people, and uh, I think that we need to take a, another look at that as as a as a church body as pastors, you know, preaching from the pulpit. Well, yeah, you get your child out of there. You don't take your child into fine dining restaurants when he's two years old and things of that sort. But the primary way that you you consider your neighbor in the raising of a child is to teach your child proper social etiquette. And because proper social etiquette focuses a child's attention on other people and causes the child to begin intuiting a servant mentality toward other people. And unfortunately, you know, I ask parents, uh, tell me what specific thing you have done in the last week to teach your child proper social etiquette. And it's the question stumps most parents. They can't tell you. They've helped with homework. They've raised the child from one after school activity after another. Yeah. Uh, But they haven't spent any time to speak of teaching basic social manners. And this is the way that you get a child out of himself and cause him to pay attention to what's going on around him so that he doesn't any longer believe that he is the, uh, the, the reason God created the universe. Yeah, promoting the idea that he's living in a universe called me. Yeah. I heard one person say, today's kids... Uh, uh, are accidentally ending up on third base, living under the delusion they just hit a triple. <laughs> <laughs> and, and on that note, we need to take a station break well, while the teams change sides. And uh, <laughs> no. 
Uh, we do need to take a break, though. You're listening to Licensed to Parent with our special guest, John Roseman. Uh, John is a columnist, a speaker, and an author on parenting. He's written about written or co-written about 15 books on parenting, and you can find those books online on his website, rosemond.com, or wherever you get your books. We'll be back with more conversation on Licensed to Parent right after this. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job, and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit HelpMyTroubledTeen.org, click on Resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherd's Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Help by TroubledTeen.org. Your children are teens now. They're growing up and gaining independence. That's kind of the point of parenting, isn't it? You're raising future responsible adults, but they're not responsible adults yet. They may be able to do things on their own, but you still want to be able to contact them and you want to equip them for success. So you decide to get them a smartphone. But why a smartphone? For most people, that means 24-7 access to everything on the planet. And that's not wise, nor is it healthy. Digital addiction is prevalent these days. In fact, we see teens of all ages dealing with mental health and behavioral issues rooted in overuse of technology. Issues that affect health, wellness, ability to focus, performance in academics, and more. That's why at Licensed to Parent, we want you to choose a wise phone alternative instead of a smartphone. More information is available at LicensedToParent.org slash wisephone. You are listening to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy with our host, Trace Embry, the founder and executive director of Shepherds Hill. I'm Rich Rosel, and our guest today is uh, author and speaker, uh, columnist uh, about parenting, John Roseman. And uh, we've mentioned several of his books. I will commend you again to his website, rosemond.com. If you'd like to learn more about the 15 books that he's either written or co-written, and uh, by the way, Trace, we've talked a lot about, you know, the parent's role versus the child's role. And uh, Trace and John, how do we differentiate between the husband's role, the father's role, and the wife-mother role in this? Because those roles aren't the same. No, they aren't, are they? The Bible uh, describes very clearly what the uh, male adult's role is to be in his family and the Bible describes very clearly what the female adult's role is to be in the family. And I tell people all the time, look, you, you deviate from God's design from human beings. And to the degree that you deviate, you're going to bring down trouble on your head. It's just that simple. And um, 
you know, we, we are experiencing, even in the Christian community, uh, tremendous troubles within the family, marital problems that uh, the, the research indicates that people who identify as Christians are having, uh, experiencing a divorce rate as high as people who identify as atheists. Right. And we're having the same parenting problems that people in the secular humanist world are experiencing. And uh, this is this is what I say. That, you know, you, you, we are Christians. We should not be adhering to a secular family model. We are confused. And that model does nothing but induce confusion. The male is to be the head of the family. He's to be the, the final word on the subject. Careful, John. Mean, well, no, it doesn't. You know, if 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 the final word on any given subject is not pre-identified and pre-determined, then every issue that comes up has the potential of becoming a jump ball, mm-hmm. and you don't want that. You want there to be healthy discussion. And the discussion can involve between husband and wife a difference of opinion. There's nothing that in the Bible that says husband and wife have to agree on everything. But in the final analysis, one person needs to be designated as the final word. And everyone needs to know that going into the discussion. And believe me, I, I mean, I speak from experience here that that makes that understanding makes for a much healthier, uh, much more civilized discussion. Yeah, no, I, I'm so glad you, you you talked about that. And I know I'll be crucified for exercising my freedom of expression, and, and, and knowing there are always exceptions to the rule. Uh, but since females are naturally equipped to bring the mother factor that that only they can bring to the to their children. Why shouldn't full-time motherhood be a preeminent and admirable goal for mothers of small kids uh, beyond that of a career that, that uh, you know, they have the rest of their lives to pursue? Um, especially in light of, I mean, they have the hardware for this. Uh, why does that make me a, a sexist to, to, to say that? Well, <laughs> because everything in the Bible, Trace, is regarded by the world as incorrect. And so you start talking about, you know, the the proper place of the female in the home and her proper role and uh, the proper place and role of the male in the home. And you're wading into incorrect territory as far as the world is concerned. You know, I mean, you know, the the world is, is a progressively oriented place. And the new standard is that the female is to get out there in the world, whether she has children or not, and achieve great things. And today's women, even many in the Christian community, don't appreciate the fact that the greatest of all achievements for a female is to be a good wife and a good mother. There you go. That's it in a nutshell right there. That's the premise. Uh, what, what are the great things? Is it uh, you know inventing a new uh, whatever? Or is it engineering our, our nation's future, you know, our, our children's future? I think there's uh, some really uh, turned around priorities in, in our world today. Um, what do you think America would look like if, if more mothers maybe you know, put their careers on hold? 
uh, or pursued them from home uh, to be, you know, full-time. Uh, because when I was a kid, every, at 3 o'clock you come home from school, every virtually every mom was there waiting for you. Uh, you know what America would look like, uh, Leave it to Beaver, the Donna Reed show, uh, Father Knows Best, uh, you know, popular TV shows of the 50s. They're pretty much mirrored American culture. People say, well, those were fantasies. And I go, no, 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 I was there. Mm -hmm. I knew those people. They were in my neighborhood. Yeah. You know, what I saw was families that where the, the, the mother was in the home during the day, the father was the breadwinner. Uh, he came home at 5 o'clock. Dinner was prepared. These were not families where there was constant upheaval if there was upheaval at all. These were families because they were functioning according to God's design, mirrored what we were watching on television and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And that's what America should look like and could look like if we restore God's design to our family culture. John, I want to talk to you about the, the, the topic of shame before we close up here. Uh, it's kind of been a Bad word. Uh, kids are not supposed to experience shame. It's damaging to their little egos. Uh, is it ever wrong for a parent to say, Junior, you should be ashamed of yourself for that? God provided us with a conscience that is clear in Scripture, and he provided us with a conscience that uh, would serve as a corrector to our behavior. And the conscience must be trained uh, just as the child's behavior must be trained, they have to be mm -hmm. trained in tandem. And so to say to a child, you ought to be ashamed of yourself is part of that training when shame is an appropriate emotion. It's part of training a child to be self-corrective. And it is, in fact, in my estimation, properly used the most effective of all punishments. And Amen. that is a very good place to land this plane on. Uh, we planned from the start on our last program to make this a two-program conversation. As clearly happens every time we have John on the program, though, Trace, we need about five or ten programs to get out everything we want to cover. John, thanks so much, though. It's, it's always a, a pleasure and a blessing to have you with us, and th we appreciate you being a part of Licensed to Parent these last two programs. The pleasure goes both ways, guys, let me tell you. And anytime you want me back, just let me know. I'll make myself available. Bless you, sir. Our guest today on Licensed to Parent, John Roseman, a columnist, speaker, and parenting author. His books include Parenting by the Book, Biblical Wisdom for Raising Your Child, Teen Proofing, Fostering Responsible Decision-Making in Your Teenager, and another one that we mentioned earlier, Parent Babble, How Parents Can Recover from 50 Years of Bad Expert Advice. You'll find more about John and his books on his website, rosemond.com. And you can find us on our website, LicensedToParent.org. While there, you can listen to all of our past broadcasts, including last week's part one of this conversation. You can also check out some free parenting videos, as well as Trace's blog. And remember, we produce this program to help you be more proactive in the parenting choices that you make so that you can raise physically, mentally, and spiritually healthy future adults. However, some kids may be struggling emotionally or spiritually, and those families may need the help that we offer through our residential program, Shepherds Hill Academy. But in order to afford residential care, these parents, these families are going to need your help. 
Your tax-deductible gift in any amount can help provide scholarships to needy families and make the difference in a hurting child's life. So please consider donating today to Licensed to Parent on behalf of Shepherd's Hill Academy. You can do so by clicking the Donate tab at LicensedToParent.org. Our guest coordinator on Licensed to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you back again next time to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you next time.